Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So, absolute pleasure to have uh, great friend Neil on the podcast today. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, Neil. And something I think I mentioned on Instagram story when we shared something earlier is that you were one of the first people I really looked up to when I was much younger. Scary enough, 12 years ago, when I first started getting into training. So, uh, having you on the podcast today is uh, an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Well, thanks. I mean, you probably looked up to me because I had a similar hairstyle. Mate, it was. You've got the bleach, <laughs> you the bleach blonde hair, white teeth, and tans. That's, what, that's the aspiration. That was it. I had a surfboy image. Well, I had it. I had it. I've lost it, Charlie. I've moved it on to. You're carrying the torch now. <laughs> I've got the tattoos <laughs> to match it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were the days. Yeah, I remember them days. Uh, in fact, I come across an old uh, photo. Someone tagged me on Instagram uh, with, with, with Stuart Core, if you remember him. Yeah. Back in the day, he was, a, he was a great sort of junior in his day. And there I was with a bleach blonde there on stage at the British finals. And that must have been about God, 10 years, 15 years ago, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, them blasts from the past, they do bring it all back home. That kind of the glory days of when you know bodybuilding used to be kind of different to it is now with all the different classes and social media and stuff but um i mean i think they're both both ways that they've come out from the old old ways to new ways have both been beneficial and they've had to move along but it's nice to see you know some of them old faces on stage again we get for quite enough dinosaurs of the sport <laughs> <laughs> the um i think the world's evolving quite quickly i think with scene of everything obviously in technology obviously you what was i remember obviously back in the day you were involved with if anyone can remember the active channel because you, you were on that for quite a while which uh, i imagine was uh, an interesting experience yeah i mean that active channel come out and that was if you just if you remember it was kind of just before like a lot of famous bodybuilders i've started sharing workouts and secrets and diet tips and stuff online really before that came out and so all you had was like one or two channels on Sky that had kind of cropped up. One was the active channel. And they had four or five different presenters, me being one of them, just sharing different ways of training and stuff. And it became hugely popular and, you know, like crazy popular. I remember going to Body Power the first few years it was on and you was mobbed, I was literally mobbed, like just from, you know, presenting a few ways to train on, on TV and people would, you know, record it, rewatch it and, it was really, really popular. I mean, it kind of just came out probably a year or two too late, it just, you know, because then the internet kind of took over and dominated and, and uh, kept far more current than the reruns that were happening on the Active Channel. And uh, I know there was some politics with Sky and stuff um, where they want so much more money that in the end it, started, it became an old void sort of a concept and... Uh, and he was competing against the, the top pros in the, the world sharing their secrets. So, but at the time, yeah, it was, it was a great place to be. And I had some great friendships and different presenters on there. A lot of people remember me on there with Dean Ash, and uh, I'm still friends today with him. Yeah, I think there's uh, still quite a lot of floating around on YouTube, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, and they've actually, yeah, I think they've still got their own um, their website. The Active Channel's got a website, and they still film. They actually still film. Uh, and they put their, them similar types of uh, workouts and styles and things like that are on, on a website, you know, so you can still hook up and see that sort of thing. Um, 
And I think, you know, now and then I've done one or two over the last few years and I think Dean still does do them. So they are still there if you're an old, you know, an old watcher and you want to kind of rekindle that. <laughs> rekindle the past. So for anyone who doesn't obviously know a bit about you, Neil, you've done, you've competed a hell of a lot, hell of a lot, respectfully, you've been around the block a little bit. So if, give us a bit of a run through of who you are, what you've achieved competition-wise perhaps. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, well, I mean, I've probably been competing now for nearly, I don't know, about 23 years. Still competing now. Now I'm, I'm 40, 44 next month. So I'm in the, I sort of tend to do the Masters now. I've kind of, so I've, had, I've, got, I've got a couple of little kids now and they're at the age where they can come to the shows and watch you. And, and like, that's the reward really for me, you know, is to, for them to see their daddy on stage. And if you enter, if you know about competitions, if you enter in the Masters, uh, class, you're one of the first sort of two categories on stage. And when you've got little kids, they don't want to sit around till 10 o'clock at night. In fact, no one really does. So, you know, uh, if, I, if I can still do what I love, the passion, and share it with my kids, you know, that's kind of very rewarding for me. So doing the Masters allows me to go to a competition. I'm only there for a few hours, and then, you know, the kids aren't getting too bored. They get to see me on stage. And uh, we go and get, like, pizza and something after. So it's, it's that's nice, but I mean, yeah, I've, I've competed for, for probably every federation that existed, um, crossed the different federations, got banned by the UK BFF about three different times and fined over the years from going from one federation to another. But the way I always looked at it was, it, you know, when I first started bodybuilding, I found it so hard to diet to that place you need to be to get on stage. And, you know, when you're new to bodybuilding you're and, and dieting for competition, you your physique doesn't want to go where your brain wants it to go. It, it kind of stays a bit softer and it's got that young looking puffy sort of muscle. It doesn't tend to get as dry and cut as it does with years of competing. And um, at the time, I found it so hard to get down. I, I really found it hard to just commit myself to one federation when if you're in that kind of shape, you know, like there's another federation or two that, are, you know, competitions in the next month or two and, and I was trying to learn my body and learn the experience of getting on stage and manipulating foods and water and stuff different ways to work out how was best for me. And to do only one show a year with one federation just seemed like a very long ass way of working it out. So, you know, when if as I jumped from, you know, show to show, really to find myself what worked for me and, you know, what federation suited me because some said, uh, work with your height and some things work with your weight and and I was always on that cusp of like a heavy weight and uh, a tall super tall class I was kind of on the cusp so uh, it, you know both were challenging but the, the height class always suited me because I never had to kind of make myself slip under that weight and so I could come in at looking slightly big without losing a little bit of muscle in the last few weeks in order to hit that 100 kilo weight so I mean, yeah, I've competed with UK BFF, WABA, NABA, uh, WPS, PCA, uh, IBFA. And, and I've been fortunate amongst all the years of, of competing to win sort of all sorts of titles, from British titles to world championships, um, European championships, uh, Mr. Universes of different federations. And uh, got to stand on stage with some fantastic bodybuilders uh, internationally. Um, and, and kind of now after 20 years, I, I, I tend to, I still compete and I tend to look at competitions 
that are a bit more favourable, perhaps for like a holiday destination after, or on the beach. You know, yeah, somewhere where you know you can go. You work pretty hard, and then after you can have three or four days or so in a, in perhaps a place that you'd never choose as a holiday to book, and take the family with you. So just make it more of a more of a well-rounded sport because you know when we you know, a lot of people started as I did, you're very single-minded. And you kind of shut everyone out out around you in order to try and get to that dark place to get that condition and stuff like that. And and, and, and being very single-minded and, you know, I used to think it was the only way to, you know, to get better yourself or to, you have to go to them places. And, and you know, you hear lots of stories about people losing relationships and, and you know, losing jobs even just for a bodybuilding competition that doesn't pay any money at the end of it. And if you win, you get a, you know, a plastic trophy and, and that's your reward. And your friends and family can't work, understand you, but for you, it means everything. And, you won't have your mind turned in any other way. This is the most important thing to do. And obviously I went through that over the years, but I actually realized that by kind of integrating everyone around you and having a strong support circle rather than shutting the door on everyone and trying to do it alone, it actually made the whole process more enjoyable and, you know, more rewarding in the different aspects of everything now. So, you know, now obviously I've been competing for over 20 years. It's, it's just like, you know, it's day-to-day business. It's just like getting up, brushing your teeth, having a shower, going to work. It, it's nothing different, really, like weighing foods and doing your cardio and stuff like that, which, you know, some people that are new to it might find exhausting. It's just part and parcel of every day. And, and anyone that's been in the game for a long period of time, you know, like yourself, Charlie, you tend to do that anyway, you know, if you're serious and strict. You know, you, most of us work best if we've got, like, a protocol we follow or a plan or the schedule, you know, and, and and then we just tick the box, eat our meals, do our training, you know, and then you go to bed a content person yes. and then you can repeat each day. And that's really the key to our founding all the years is consistency and just being consistent with your training or your diet or you know, not jumping from one week, from one idea to the next or one training plan to the next, etc. And it's just who, if you can be consistent and dedicated and and, and just if you, as long as you can do that, things will happen. As long as you're, you know, that way, you know, inclined, and you don't fall off the wagon at some point. Because, um, and that's the real secret. I think there is no real secret. There's no magic pill. It's just uh, consistency and commitment to it all. In terms of obviously training, where, where would you say, like, what's your style of training? Would you say? Obviously, I've trained with you a few times. I'm pretty aware, but like from where you probably first started what did you do when you first started out compared to what you do now what do you like you've done all sorts of things you've tried like the Milo Sarchev's approach with like higher volume and training twice yeah. like what what did you found worked for you and didn't work for you uh, I think you know when, when I started like most of us for a company grew up in you know the UK with Dorian Yates as like the, the the man to follow we all you know like I, I started with that type of Dorian Yates style training where, you know, less is more and it's taking one set or perhaps two to absolute failure and, you know, progressive overload. And when you're young and when you're, you know, you haven't been doing the same, like, movements for over 20 years that as I have now, you know, your joints and stuff, muscles, bellies and everything are a lot fresher and are much, much more comfy with their movements without ca- causing any injuries to you. So, and that's what I've done to start with. And then, 
after about 10 years, I, I noticed I've got little nicks and niggles and certain heavy exercises were causing me like hip issues or knee issues rather than in the muscle where I was obviously want to target. And uh, so I had to, you know, be clever if I want to be doing this for the long term and still integrate some of that, you know, the heavy progressive movements, but then find other ways of stimulating the muscle without just grinding down your joints and tendons, which seems to happen for most of us as we've, you know, been in the sport for a fair while. I mean, if you look at Dexter Jackson now, he's kind of reported on the internet that he sticks to all machines only because, you know, they're, they're much more controlled and he's, he's less likely to tear anything where he's been training for so long. Then, then injuries are more like uh, possible. And, and I've, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had a fair few injuries myself through, you know, all the classic movements like tore my chest on the flat bench press, you know, tore my biceps, ridiculously flipping strongman tyres. You know, doing things that you do when you're younger, but now you're in your forties <laughs> and your body's been doing it for a long time, and then things kind of pop and rip. When that, when you were younger, you might just get a little bruise and shrug it off. So I have to be more careful. And now, you know, I still I still squat hard and I squat heavier. I probably squat up to like five and a half plates now most weeks. You know, uh, each side of the bar. But now I'm going down, listening to my body, my knees, back, hips tendons, ligaments, muscles, and think, as I'm going up and down, is anything going to break? More than, let's smash this, you know, under spar up and down, and, you know, we're unbreakable, because that's how you feel when you're in your 20s. Now I'm listening, I have to listen to my body, and if things are twinging around, what I've learned is, you know, if you just carry on full hardy, you tend to get some sort of injury. So it might mean that I'll just slacken the load down a little bit, and bring in some other intensifiers, like, you know, stake holds, or uh, time under tension, slower reps, that kind of thing to really, you know, still get into the muscles and give you doms that follow, but take some of the stress off the tendons and stuff. And, and then when you're good, again, I would still go back to kind of progressive overload. Still seems to sort of hold true out of everything I've done in all the years. I still find that that's, you know, sort of straight sets with a decent rest where you're overloading the weight and perhaps the reps that you've used to done, that seems to elicit the most response. And especially with my my physique, I know everyone's different, but unless I've done heavy loads on my legs, they just wouldn't really, they wouldn't really uh, expand, you know, and swell up and stay swollen from the leg workout. So Even I've always... High volume stuff wouldn't work for you in that respect, more just the, the heavier straight sets was more effective. Yeah, so I mean, I, I love high volume. I love like, you know, the John Meadows style of intra-training drinks with, you know, all your cyclic dextrose, or I use Vitargo, I've always used Vitargo, and all your aminos and pushing everything into your system. But, you know, there's no point doing that if you're only doing one or two sets. If you're doing high volume and you're taking a lot of energy out of you, it makes total sense to have a carb powder through your training so you can push on, you don't hit that wall, you know, early on in your workout because you're doing a lot of volume. But I don't see that that has a greater response in the, my physique as the straight sets does with a heavier load. And, I, you know, I, if I squat really hard and heavy straight sets and I'm going for like six to ten reps and just, you know, killing myself that way, my legs will be so much sore and so much fuller for a lot longer, you know, for the week or so that follows. Whereas you know, I love volume training and it's hard as hell when you're doing it in the gym and you, 
get a great pump and but it seems to drop off really quickly, you know? Uh, and then it, I've found that I've, I'm, you know, if I just visually look at myself and training now, I don't, I don't seem that that holds true and putting it much more mass on. I think it's, has its place and, and like I say around injuries it's great and I think it's also good around pre-contest because you obviously burn in a lot more calories with that style of training and pre-contest you know when your body fat's very low you're likely to cause injuries if you're going to start lifting heavy but I would still keep the heavy weights in there because that's what built the muscle in the first place I just might integrate some like volume in there to take some of the load off the joints and prevent injuries along the way so I kind of balance it all out. I mix it all out. But, I mean, I'm very instinctive as well as I train because some days I'll go into the gym and it may be a shoulder day and I'll just pick three or four presses, different styles of presses from standing, seated, machines, dumbbells, whatever. And I'll just press from one to the other to the other, you know, and, and really enjoy a pressing day from my shoulders and finish with a little bit of ancillary lateral sort of head work. Whereas other days I'll go in and I'll think about hitting every shoulder head from every angle and then finish with some presses. You know, so it really, uh, I like, what, I, what I've got after 20 odd years of training is everything works as long as you train really hard and push through <laughs> absolute ends of the earth and back in that session, couple that with, you know, decent diet to follow it, it all works. But what the most important factor of it all to me is you've got to enjoy it. When you've been doing it this long, you have to enjoy it. So if you love lifting heavy, low reps, you know, powerlifting stuff, you should still do it. It might not be the best to build muscle. It might be great for your strength. But if you can totally leave that out because your goal is to build muscle and you never put that in, even if it's not even once a week, now you're, you're taking something away from you which you love. And, and we all got into the gym because of our healthy love for it. And, uh, you know, after 20 years, I, I think you should still really enjoy what you do. And I think that comes down to the diet side of things a bit as well. I mean, we could all eat what, you know, white fish and broccoli if it was the best thing to make us look shredded. But if you hate that and hate that and hate that, and you really want a good steak and chips, you know, but you don't ever have it because you're stuck, in the end, you'll crack and you'll lose the whole plot with it all. You've started so I think, you know, like, yeah, I think you need to put things in there that you still enjoy. But just in moderation and, you know, still have the nuts and bolts in place for what you want to achieve out of it. But just don't, you know, negate things that you really enjoy. Like, you know, I have clients that I train that, like, especially women, they love running. They love running, like jogging, running on a treadmill or outside running, road running. But for them to get on stage, it seems to always hold water in their legs. They never get the definition and condition the, the lines and stuff through their legs. But they love doing the running. It's something they get a buzz from, you know, releases endorphins and stuff. So I will try and keep that running as long as I can till we get closer and closer to the competition, till we eventually we might have to pull it back or eventually pull it out because it is being detrimental to the look that they need for the stage. But I wouldn't take it out just purely because it's not good for their end result if they can get away with including it, you know, from time to time in their training because they enjoy it. You know, like, and, and that's the thing. The whole process needs to be enjoyable for us all to stick to anything, whether it's a job or training or whatever we do in life, you know, our relationships. And we have to enjoy them. So I feel like, you know, we, you know, as I've got older, I've got softer, definitely got softer. I used to be like the Gestapo if I prepped yeah. people. And it was this way or I'll crack the whip and, 
you know, if you're not listening or you're moaning, then just jog on, mate, you know, because I'm not interested in that hardcore old school approach, which I know is still out there. You know, you don't have any salt or ketchup on your chicken and you just dry, boiled everything. You know, that, that's the way I used to be going back 20 years because that was the only way we knew. And, like, you know, as, as you say, social media's moved the sport on. And, you know, nutrition's moved on as well. And there are ways around. It's not, you know, back in the day, it was the hard, I used to think that the hardest, if you worked the hardest in the gym or you dieted the strictest, that gave you the best results. But it isn't really the hardest working or the strictest eating diet. It doesn't necessarily give you the best results on stage. It's, it's kind of the smartest way of training and the smartest way of dieting that will give you the results. And it's just working that out for your body type. You don't have to suffer. We all got to suffer to a degree to get on stage. But I mean, you have to suffer because no one actually gives a monkey's how hard your prep was when they look at you on stage. They just judge you from standing there. And if you look like a bag of spanners, that's it. You had a, they'll think you had a, you cheated your diet. Or, but you might have been as strict as hell all the way through. The proof's in the pudding, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, if you can get on stage these days and say, yeah, I cheated on McDonald's once a week all the way through and I look at me, I'm shredded to the bone and dry as hell. Like, people are patting you on the back. They're not, they're not in any way judging you for taking it easy. They think you're a lucky bastard, you know? Like, I wish I could get away with that. But, you know, if you're, if you're the, if you stood there say, I just ate white fish and rice cakes every meal, that's all I've done. And you look like, you did look terrible on stage. No one would care. No, no one would even get to hear that. So, you know, like in all the years of, of doing it, I have changed over the years. I've got softer and, you know, my clients probably the long-term ones will, will realise I've got a bit softer with them. But that's only because I don't think you need to be quite as strict on certain things in order to achieve the results. But then, again, that's dependent on your, your muscle and your metabolism because the bigger, more muscular people tend to be able to get away with little slips in their diet and stuff or a bit of slacking on the cardio because their muscles metabolically more active and burning more calories for them. People with less muscle or higher percentage of body fat do have to do a bit more work, especially in the infancy of it. In, um, in terms of obviously training, do you have a set sort of training split you run for yourself or you generally tend to recommend? Yeah. Do you know what? I love, what I love, right? So that's a very uh, controversial that, thing where people are very like... <laughs> Uh, stuck to one sort of opinion on certain things. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, look, I actually love, what I enjoy the most training is the bro split, bodybuilding bro split, which is a taboo in this recent, what, two, three years? Like, yeah. unless you're doing push-pull legs, you ain't a bodybuilder anymore. You know, but like, if we go back 10 years, it was push-pull, chest and buys, back and tries, you know, it, it was, it was, that's the way it was. You've done one major muscle group and one smaller muscle group and you trained five or six days on the trot and that's what you've done. And it worked for lots of people, but now it's almost like cried off that. It's like, you know, you don't know what you're doing if you're doing that. But I actually enjoy that training the most because after doing it 20 years, I've found that if I train for too long on one muscle group, you know, or I find myself getting a little bit bored because I've been doing these exercises for a long time now. So I like to do three or four exercises on a major muscle group, like two exercises, maybe three on a smaller muscle group. And then the workout's done, and I feel like I've achieved a lot, and I'm not totally exhausted. The central nervous system isn't on its arse, and I ain't got to force myself to get through the rest of the day because I feel absolutely exhausted from the session. 
although I still train as hard as I can in the movements that we've done, it, I find that way I've still got a little bit in the tank to have a life for the rest of the day. Um, but I'll do that for a period of time. Um, and then I will move on to something where it's either back and, you know, chest and back to like the old days of Arnold where he used to train chest and back. And then I'll, I'll do legs and then I'll do shoulders and arms. So it's a bit like a, a variation of a, a push-pull leg. Uh, and then I'll rotate around again to a push-pull legs. And then I'll come back to a kind of a bro split. And I kind of probably sir, cycle those three styles of training over a period of sort of 12 to 16 weeks on each to the point where mentally and physically I'm not making any more progress. And then I just a refreshing change is enjoyable again. And as I said earlier, but for me, like to carry on doing it this long and, and to go further doing it, I really want it to be enjoyable. So if I'm hitting my head against the wall with a training plan and we're not getting anywhere in two or three weeks, I'll drop the exercise out that's causing the problem. And then I might even drop the whole training plan out and change it, flip it completely over. But even when I'm headstrong into a training plan and I'm loving life and everything's progressing in the right way and I walk in the gym and Big Mo's over there and he says to me, oh, Neil, what are you doing, legs? And I'm like, I'm supposed to do that tomorrow. Doing this such and such today on my training plan, I ain't that anal. I'm training with Mo because I, I know that we'll have much better workout together you know, if we go at it together because he's in the same frame of mind as me on the leg day. And I'll just switch out whatever I was supposed to do today and put it in tomorrow. So I'm not anal with the whole scheduling per week. I'll, I'll just go with the flow to a degree. As long as everything's done to its fullest and uh, and, and I feel like I'm making progress. You know? And I think as long as you feel like, you're, as I said earlier, ticking the box, you know, and achieving your goal, then, you know, you everything else seems to fall in line. You tend to eat right, sleep right. You know, everything kind of goes in line. So it's like a ricochet effect, doesn't it? You know, like if you're real and you can't train because you've got little sniffles, mate, you can't be bothered to eat your diet and you just eat crap. <laughs> so, you know, I think that if you can, if one thing's out of sync, then uh, the whole kind of the, the tower kind of tends to fall down a little bit. And so whenever I've suffered from like serious injuries in the past, like there was a point where I, I tore my chest and uh, as I mentioned, doing the bench press and then I had it surgically reattached. And then after, after I got out of hospital about a week later, it got infected and it got very badly infected. So I had to go back in the hospital and have the surgery redone again and the whole thing cleared out, it re-stitched up. Anyway, for whatever reason, and this was in a private hospital, I came, every time I came out of hospital, I kept getting some infection in there and I had to keep going back and having it redone. I had the surgery done six times over about eight weeks. So I was in and out of hospital every week for 10 days rehabbing the surgery done. And eventually they like washed it all out and left a big sucking machine on it, which was gross, and left the wound open, you know, where they have to leave it open to heal. And God knows why. But what it done is it stopped me and put me back like where your recovery might be three months or whatever to your training again. I'm, I'm sort of six to eight weeks down the line. I'm still having the same bloody operation. So it really put me back. And obviously it's depressing. Every time I'm thinking I'm out, I'm on antibiotics, I must be getting better, bang, I'm back in hospital. So what I've done throughout all of that, because I know me and I know the way my mind works, is I just train legs every day. I thought, if I don't do anything, I'm going to just not follow my diet, I won't be bothered about getting to sleep on time and you know, life will slowly go sideways. 
So I just thought, well, what, what, what can I do? I can't do as much on my upper body, but I can do my legs and I can do cardio and I can do my abs. So I just worked a routine out where I'd done like, hamstrings, abs and calves one day, quads, abs and calves the next day, and then a day of cardio and then repeated. And, and so every day I was doing some form of exercise and that then meant I would just prep my meals, I would keep to a sort of a pattern. And then it kept me in a positive mindset that I will recover from this ongoing painful like you know repetitive surgery that I kept having done rather than feeling like a depressed person sitting in the corner thinking why is this happening to me you know so it just changed your mindset because I, I put myself in a positive place to keep at it. Would and, you say uh, you took ownership of the situation with that? Yeah exactly that's exactly what you do yeah I mean mentally if you, can, <coughs> you, can, you can believe in something you know in your mind it's so easy for your body to adapt, to heal, to recover fast. All of the good stuff can happen if your mind's in the right place. But it's, it's very, only you can really decide how your mind's going to be. Like, we all know people that are on a downer or depressed, and you can try and talk to them. But unless they want to hear it and they actually want to make a change themselves, it won't happen. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I've had a lot of setbacks which aren't fortunate but unfortunately my mind's always used these setbacks as a reason to kind of overcome them and try and better myself from before almost like I'll show the doctors I, I can get back to being on stage or I'll show myself that I'll recover in three months and I've always in them circumstances decided where people might think oh no I've had a terrible injury I'm going to sit out and compete until next year I've always said no screw that let's look at a show for about eight months in now doing that show because that gives you a tangible amount of time that you can recover normally about three months and then you've got like sort of five or six months to really work at something and get that you know muscle memory will come back and the body will kind of take shape again but it keeps everything on a shortened leash and something that you can tangibly tangibly work at rather than forever saying oh well, it's not till next year I'll do it next year or I'll work at it tomorrow or start the diet next week you know if you give yourself a goal and it's on the horizon, that's only going to get shorter and shorter, that horizon. And it just meant that I'd always... I've always done... actually won my first Mr. Universe after I broke my back. And I'd had a year out of training and rehab and so much work done on my back to try and prevent me from having the operation on it. So and uh, How old were you in that happening? For everyone who doesn't know, you had a really severe accident. Yeah, so I had a, a motorbike accident. Nothing to do with a gymnast. This was, I was into sports bikes and uh, I was on the way to work one day on a GSX-R. I love uh, taking them out on the weekends and the fearlessness and the, you know, the open road and all that was a fantastic rush until I got wiped out by like one of these, I think it was like a moody cab or like an Uber before Ubers existed and just turned out on me on the Seven Sisters Road, which is in London. She's a busy part of London in the morning. And just wiped me out. Very similar to the advert that used to be on TV where he used to say, look left, look right, think bike or something like that. And then yeah. the, the biker's head would go through the side of the window, you know. Uh, and that was basically what happened. So, uh, yeah, he just pulled out without me seeing him because he weren't looking for a bike. And he just pulled straight out and I went straight through his window. Uh, and it just smashed my helmet. Because like, them helmets, they don't smash in half. They're really like, you pay a lot of money for helmets. But if the impact had split my arm in half and 
And anyway, it shattered, shattered loads of bones. I had loads of plates put in my arms and pins and uh, both arms, my hips, and and I, I broke my back. And um, yeah, I mean, I remember waking up in hospital from that, like one of the characters in the Carry On movies where, so if you remember them Sid Owen old Carry On movies, but there's one in hospital I always remember where, you know, he's in hospital and his arms are plaster cast from his fingertips to his, completely to his shoulder. And they're kind of in like, they've been, they've got like a metal bar between the forearm and the bicep to hold them square. And then they're in slings either side of the bed. And that's basically how I woke up. I couldn't scratch my nose or wipe my backside. or I was basically stuck in that position. Uh, and I couldn't move anything from my neck down for, for about two weeks. So that time I was in hospital, no, two weeks doesn't sound a lot, but trust me, when the doctors and nurses and everyone's rallying around you, panicky, and they're not sure if you're going to ever, you know, they can't tell you that you, everything's going to be fine and they're not sure. And you're just, every day is the longest day where you're just squeezing everything you can to try and get something to move in your finger or toe or knee or anything. It's hard, you know, it was a hard time, I remember. And it, I mean, in a way, it was one of the best things that, you know, shouldn't have happened to me because from that, I realised how much we take life for granted. And there's so many of us out there that moan about we've got a little achy back or we ain't got the job we want or what, we ain't living in a you know, house that we feels below us or whatever. But, you know, I remember when, when I was lying in that hospital, you know, weeks of that, Anything that felt materialistic that I'd seemed to be working on, like, you know, a new car or buying this, putting this mortgage down in this house, all these things seemed really important until the accident. And then after that, when I was in the accident, I, I couldn't care for any of it. I just wanted to get out on my feet, brush my own teeth, be able to wipe my own bum and just not be crippled from the neck down. And that, it was the worst fear. I think anyone that's active or, well, anyone full stop, but, Anyone that's always been sporty like I had from a child, like that was just my worst fear to, you know, to be paralysed. And, and there I was paralysed. But fortunately, after about two weeks, I got a little bit of movement back in my fingertips. And, and then about two weeks after, I started getting movement back in my toes. And then as gradually, they kind of like helped me to walk again and we learned all that stuff again. And, and then they sent me back to my mum's house eventually, they discharged me. <laughs> And my mum had to take the job on of uh, dressing me, taking me to the bathroom, all the stuff that you don't want your mum to see when you're like 20 odd years of age rather than a toddler, you know what I mean? Um, so it was quite embarrassing, you know, every time you need to go to the toilet, your mum would have to come and wipe you out. You're like, you kind of want to stop eating so you don't go to the loo. And you, you don't want to keep asking for a drink because you can't, obviously I was in these plaster casts that I mentioned, you I couldn't scratch my nose or hold a glass to drink, you know, so it was tough. It was long, but, you know, the fact that I knew I was mending and I could move my fingers and toes and stuff was just a, like, it was such an elated feeling. And I remember thinking, if I can get out of this, once I'm out of all these casts and tins and plates and stuff, I will not look at life in the same way where people chase that dollar or chase that Gucci bag or that new car or whatever it might be. It's so important. Wow, it's not important. It really isn't. But, you know, life's the most important thing, and you've only got one of them, but sometimes it takes something really nasty to happen to you personally or a real close loved one for you to kind of sit up and think, hang on about, what am I doing here? Like, my priorities are all wrong. 
And that were and so in a way that was a really effective kind of part of my life because it changed me from the sort of person I was. And uh, you know, where I was bleaching my hair blonde, Charlie, and <laughs> I'm not pointing fingers, but uh, and it changed me away from that, and and kind of made me more like more down to earth, I suppose. And uh, and and so it was a horrible thing, but you know, in a way, it's been good. But you know, that's taking that onwards and taking it to training. It was it, that was, I mean, just to get back in the gym was a you know a huge success story for me. But to do anything that we take for granted, like deadlifts or squats or bent over rows, obviously we've come back there. It was just not on the cards. And, but I wouldn't give in. You know, I wouldn't give in. And I, I made sure that I, you know, I'd done my physio and I'd worked at it and I'd tried to build my strength back up. And, you know, eventually, like now, you never know that I've, like I mentioned a squat still, I deadlift again, you know, and, and like you would never know these things uh, had happened. But at the time, you don't think they're ever going to start happening again. It seems to go on for years, you know, till you can do anything. I mean, the extent of my lower back training was me lying on the floor and just lifting my head and shoulders up off the floor, the amount of pain that used to cause me. But obviously that's like the start of a back extension and it was slowly strengthened on my back. But Jesus, the amount of pain that caused me. And like, to go from there onto a back extension machine and then onto like a Cybex back extension machine with a weighted one and, Eventually, you know, very light bar uh, deadlifts and stuff. It was a very super slow progress. But, you know, every day was an improvement. And that's the way I looked at it. Rather than me down by it, I could have been paralyzed done. Could have been, that could have been me done. So every week I made the smallest little improvement in strength or less pain or whatever. And I just took that and, and went with it and saw it as a positive. And, you know, before you know, I knew it, I ended up getting on stage and doing this WPF uh, Mr. Universe and ended up winning it and I'm just absolutely fab like, I mean I'd never expected to win it because I'd you know I hadn't been able to do any of these core movements for the whole you know year or two of training um, yeah and so when I went I went abroad it was in Italy that was and uh, at the time I'd been competing my like friends and family used to be real like great supporters you know, they used to come to all the shows and watch me. I'd have an entourage there shouting. And it was it was great. But it was a little fan base, you know. It was mostly my mum's voice. But, you know. <laughs> but, but then, like now, if I go to a show, no one comes. Like, Neil's been competing for years. He wants to go and watch him again. Do you know what I mean? It's a different... Yeah. I don't care. You know? it. Yeah, it's just the way it is. But at, at the time, they used to come everywhere. But when I went to do this competition, I mentioned... I said to all of them, don't bother coming. Don't come to Italy. Put yourself right out, hotels, flights, etc. I ain't got a chance of winning it. I just want to go and get on that stage and see what it's all about, you know. Uh, and then lo and behold, I won it. Got this great big trophy, check, come off stage. I've got no one to turn around and congratulate me or share it with. I was like, oh, this wasn't quite the experience I expected uh, if you ever won something like this. But it doesn't matter, you know, like, uh, you know, just to be there and do it and sort of uh, to experience it was crazy, you know. So, and that that really was a massive, massive like step for me, and it made me just uh, take it from sort of strength to strength. And you know, I realised then no matter what injuries I got, and like I say, I tore a chest, I tore a bicep, stuff along the way after that. They, these things are nothing. These are muscles. They repair. They recover. They're quite simple, you know. Like being paralysed or having a broken <coughs> That's another level, you know. 
so uh, any of these things now that I've ever uh, had, they're, they're just challenges. I kind I I I kind of call them um, road road bumps. They're not even a serious thing; it's just a road bump, you know. And, and we'll get past it. Imagine it gave you a huge amount of perspective, all that sort of stuff. Would you have any advice for anyone who's going through something similar at the moment? Yeah, I mean, advice-wise, I mean, the main thing I could like really say is to try and just keep that positive positivity in your mind. And I know there'll be doubt there. So if you can stay positive, then your body will follow. Like, it's so important, your mind. And I mean, there's millions of books out there now that talk about this kind of stuff. And uh, in time, I still read these things, which I had done at the time. Because I found that, you know, anything positive that can make you think that way will really influence how you recover and train. And just surround yourself with people that are positive with you. You know, not like the naysayers. And you'll always get friends and family members that are kind of telling you to take it easy or to don't do this and don't do that. And, but they're, they're always that sit on that side of the fence, regardless of what it is. So I, I just found myself that, you know, keeping around positive people, thinking positive and, you know, and, and if anyone suffers from anything seriously like that, and I've had a few people over the years contact me, I'm more than willing to, like, you know, to speak directly if you want to, you know, add me to your Instagram and direct message me because I know how hard it was to overcome these What things. is your Instagram, man, Neil, for anyone who doesn't know? Uh, my is just my name, which is Neil Cranwell, and it's... The Neil's spelt slightly wrong. <laughs> I've had to suffer that all my life, thanks to my mum. But it's uh, N-E-A-L-E, and then Cranwell, C-R-A-N-W-E-L-L. And, uh, yeah, I'm, listen, I judge shows, and I'm always there to give feedback and help. Because when I was in them people's shoes, I wished I had that. You know, and it doesn't take, it really doesn't take someone a minute to give you some advice or help. And when I was starting in bodybuilding, I wish the judges would give me feedback and they all walk along, but they're so busy, they can't do it. But I mean, I've done so many shows and I'll always give people feedback if they contact me or speak to me at the show. Because that's what, how are we going to learn to improve if no one's helping us that way? And so going from, from, as I say, judging to just even if I can help point someone in the right direction with recovery or exercises that I might, I might have done that might help someone in a similar situation then, yeah, by all means, shout me out because only takes a minute to answer someone. So always, I've always thought that. Oh, 100%. <clears throat> I think it's one of those things a lot of people feel very isolated, I think, in those sort of situations sometimes. Yeah, well, exactly. And then that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, I've, had, uh, I've had a few clients over years come to me purely just because of the fact that they've had a similar injury or something themselves. And... Uh, and they've come to me hoping that it would help them because there is someone else out there that's been through it and kind of got past it. And it's a bit like the Roger, Roger Bannister four-minute mile thing, isn't it? It's like people don't think they can achieve it, you know, but then someone does and all of a sudden, oh, okay, we can all do it now. So I think you just have to have, yeah, I think that positive side of people with a success story after such a you know, problematic injury or something like that is uh, it's always good. We always like a... A comeback story, don't we, or an underdog story? You know, yeah, whether it's in boxing. Woods, when he won the uh, majors recently, was like insane because he'd been written off for years. Exactly, yeah, exactly that. I mean, I, I love 
like watching the sports like boxing, UFC, and that. And the underdogs are always the ones that I will follow because that they make a, they make a great season. I mean, when a Conor McGregor fight with Nate Diaz, that first one, that was one of the best fights in the UFC purely because Conor was so full of himself and bigger than life. And then Nate, Nate kind of just mustered up this underdog spirit and just was a warrior through it. And, you know, I think watching things like that, they, even that stirs up adrenaline and, you know, an influence in me. Exactly. It's the motivation from a different level. And I think you can take these things from anywhere, in any walks of life, people that are successful, people that are self-made, people that, have, like we're saying there in the UFC, and, and put them into your own life, whether it's through work or through your sport. And, you know, sometimes I'll mentally focus these type of things. If I'm going into a, an exercise and I'm thinking, this is a tough set here ahead. You know, I'll, I'll think about these things and about these you know, people like that have achieved these things. I might have watched recently per, per, you know, and watched them on purpose prior to, say, going to the gym that week and then put them thought process in, my, in place and step into a circle. So what I, what I do when I walk into an exercise, I'll, I'll draw a circle out in my mind's eye to say in front of the squat rack. And that is like a circle of strength or circle of power. And I step into that once I'm in that, all these emotions and thoughts I've had, they kind of come alive. And then the world outside of this circle doesn't exist. And then you're just there for that job. And sometimes I've found that, that really insulating that movement that way will help overcome these big, you know, these real big numbers that you're trying to tackle that are almost a little bit, it can be a bit worrying when you look up at a leg press or a squat rack or something like that, or a bench even. And there's some big, like, scary-looking plates on there. Sometimes, time just being scared of them will make you lose that set, you know. So, yeah, sometimes you have to think positively in a different way and channel different energies in order to do that. But and I think that's that's where it comes back to consistency. If you can do that from week to week, you know, that's going to make you progress more than following any any of the latest fads of training or supplements or whatever. It is, it is really working hard and. And then the other stuff kind of follows. Yeah, it's, it's no, it's no, uh, it's no like surprise that the harder you work, the luckier you get with a lot of things. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think we, that does get a bit lost in today. You know, because <coughs> there's so, so many fantastic supplements out there now, which claim to do lo- so many things, but uh, all their claims are built on um, on uh, like the design of someone absolutely smashing themselves and working to their. Act- you know, umpteenth level or whatever they're doing. And that's when the supplements are actually might, might, might you know, might actually have an effect and come into play. Yeah. But, you know, people will spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds on the latest range of supplements, injury training, drinks, workouts. pre-workouts, yeah. all this gear. And then they go in the workout and they're just chatting with their mates, waffling on, on Instagram, on Tinder and doing a few sets in between. And why? <laughs> right. Why did you need all this stuff? You just go and buzzing your head off. So, you know, and that in itself ain't a good thing because it starts to run down your adrenals and these things stop working as well and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, the old school crew, like from my era and that, would take a pre-workout and I do, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a daily. It would be on an occasion where you might have had a few hours less sleep, but you've got a big workout coming or you've had a hard day at work, but you want to go and train. You're just missing that little kick that you normally got within you. And and then things that from time to time have a great effect. They really work real well. But when people just rely on them for pre-workout to go and trade arms, it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 
don't make much sense because anyway, we all love with men. We like training arms generally. There's a few out there that don't, but generally, you know, it's a, it's the, one of the show muscles that men want to train. Um, so you, you know, it's not it's not really that hard, and I don't actually think arm training should be that heavy because it just ruins your tendons. Should be more about squeezing and isolating and that kind of thing, in my opinion. Yeah, so I think so. Is that so, so similar with shoulders with that as well, to a degree? Well, Tom, I'm a bit caught out with the, the shoulders opinion on that because, I mean, shoulders, why is it? I always, I always ask this question to myself, but I'll now put it to you and you can, perhaps you can answer. Why is it when people go in the gym to train shoulders, whether they're doing like the straight set type workouts in the rest of their week, when they train shoulders, why do they superset often superset shoulders or drop sets or down the rack dumbbell lateral raise. They do all these intensifying craziness things on the shoulders, but they don't on the other body parts, if that's, you know, in general. See, like, personally, I'm a big fan of that sort of stuff for shoulders to a degree, but I also like to use that on arms as well, whereas I might not maybe with, like, chest and legs quite as much. Yeah, so, but, I mean, I've always asked that question is why... Why, why, why is the difference there? Because, you know, if you look at the basic facts of progressively overloading the muscle with more weight or stimulus or whatever, will will be the actual kind of basic adaption which will make it grow. When you're doing drop sets, supersets, and all this stuff, you're just really increasing the intensity and the endurance of the muscle. Uh, you feel a fantastic burn in it, and it's almost mind over matter in your shoulders when you do that sort of thing, or in your arms. But then why wouldn't you do that in your leg training or back or your chest as well? Like if that was the answer, you know, and, and I, I always wonder that. So like when I personally train shoulders, I will do that. I'm not saying I'm not to do it, but I wouldn't do it every week. Like I mentioned earlier, sometimes I just go in and do straight pressing, pressing and all different variations because if I, cause I'm so not used to doing that. When I do that, I'll come away for the week. Like my shoulders are destroyed. I can't sleep at night. can't lie on my shoulders and, you know, I think that makes a difference. So, I, I don't know. I think, I think the answer you, Are you a fan of variety then in terms of your training? So you don't have a set workout you do? Yeah. You just go in how you feel, just blast it from there? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do, but that really comes <laughs> down to the it's fact good. that I want to enjoy training. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I've followed... Nothing my, more boring than doing the same thing every week. Listen, one of the most hardest ways I've ever trained and the most brutalist I've ever been trained by anyone in all the years was with Milos Starches. That guy murders you. He absolutely... I mean, well, I went to a weekend with him and I think Jamie Johal was there. A few other big lads were there. And almost, almost everyone was chundering. You know, everyone was lying on the floor between these giant sets that he does of about 12, 30 next to dying on their feet because we're purely not used to it but also chundering up everywhere there was so much sick going on it was disgusting because they you know their bodies take to that level Milos trains you really hard if he if he decides to hone his uh sights on you when you're doing this giant set and takes you through it completely yourself you are in absolute bits and it, it was the best weekend i must admit i ever had in training but also the hardest but i then went on like most of us would and think, right, I've got loads out of that. I'm doing that. This is what I'm doing. I've paid my loss. I'm following it. And I followed it and followed it. And Jesus, did I stop enjoying training. 
because all the stuff I love going to the gym and doing in the gym, I, was, I weren't doing anymore. I was just doing these huge giant sets and they were becoming cumbersome and I was taking up so much equipment or there was always someone on the next machine I was supposed to get on. It was just not very easy to like manipulate and I was finding myself because I was so adamant I'm following this program and because I own a gym, I was coming in either before the gym opened or when it shut and I was doing the workout then, so I had the free reign of the gym in order to do all the you know, exercises in the way it was supposed to be done. But after a period of time, I just stopped enjoying it because, you know, we go to the gym, we train, we get a pump in the muscle, and we sort of peacock around a little bit in the mirror between sets. You know, <laughs> feel, feel great. I'm all pumped and this is great. There's no time for any of that with Myla. You're just bashing the hell out of yourself from one machine to the other. When you've done 15 reps, sorry, 15 sets of it all, you just feel absolutely exhausted. There's no pumping you. You just feel absolutely dead on your feet. And then you've got to repeat it all again. And, and for, you know, for a period of time, I've done it for about six months. I mean, I did stay the course, but after about six months, I sort of reflected upon what I was doing. I thought, just not enjoying it now. Just not enjoying it. And there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a hell of a lot of food, and a hell of a lot of insulin being used under my love. And I didn't really feel like it, visually done enough for me to warrant the continuation of, of doing that. But having said that, you know, like we do, we all go to different like mentors and different people that we can learn from. And I still take parts and use parts of what I learned off my life today in my own training. I've, you know, I wouldn't say cherry peaks, but certain bits of what he's done, I found fascinating and they really did work. But some other bits of it, I found not, not so, so, for example, like his giant sets of training, I thought fantastic, but maybe put them in to your training plan every third week on on like a rotation. Yeah. So you might do two sort of like, you know, push-pull leg type workout weeks. And then uh, and then this is a shock, as a total shock to what you're doing. And also to, to lessen the loads on your joints and take some of the stress off your joints, your central nervous system and stuff that you'd normally get injured by continually progressively overloading on them push-pull leg workouts that you've been doing. Now you've got that week's break from that, which is almost circuity-style training, and then you come back to doing that. And that way you kind of take two heavy sort of workout weeks and one one more voluminous workout week, and, and it's all a good shock. And I, I've, I've done that for a long, long time as well, which I enjoyed. Um, and and the, other, you know, the other side of the mile is, you know, the drug side of things that he, he implements, and he's not shy about talking about. No. And, 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 I, and I, I don't think that, I don't think that, I necessarily gained as, as much uh, from the protocols that he suggested as I, I could with, say, half the amount. So, you know, so you know, I still use a lot of his protocols today and I learned a lot from him. And, and what I must say, I've had, a few, I've had probably three or four coaches in 20 years myself and he was one of the most passionate, most enthusiastic coaches you, you could ever have. You know, even after all these years of being in the sport, I mean, he just passionately loves it. It's funny you say that, say, because he actually, um, I did his training camp in last year in Orpington. I'm actually, I'm doing an, uh, another one with him and Ben Pekulski in a few months. And he actually, I'll be chasing to get him on the podcast, which he, for a while, and he actually sent me his number on WhatsApp earlier. So uh, I'll be having him on this soon. But he, he's, I would say, one of the most passionate people I think I've ever met about training, nutrition, and like in particular bearing in mind how long he's been doing it and this is all he talks about, like, his passion is insane for it. Oh, yeah, and it, and it, and it rolls on to you. Like, I, I would read <coughs> his emails and somehow, 
somehow his email would would almost I, I could imagine him talking to me. But when he trained you, right did he have like a slightly evil laugh when he'd be fucking you up? <laughs> yeah. He'd have like this, this creepiest grin where like he'd be so happy when someone was dying. Yeah, he enjoys pain. You know, it was like, I mean, the guy is 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 a is a one off and. You know, as people like that in the sport, unfortunately, are, you know, I think there should be more of because he's very individual. And uh, but yeah, his passion about the way you should, you know, you should supplement around training because he was the, the main kind of originator of intra workout, wasn't he? Um, and and his focus on this intra workout sort of drink protocol and his, his training protocol is so so you know believable. He's so he's so believable. And he backs it up a hundred percent. He will not move on it. You, you really get behind it. And these emails are really like his checking emails with me were really so like passionate. If you're feeling down or drained and you're in prep, his, his email would really enlighten you back to it all being worthwhile. You know what I mean? But Milos was a huge proponent of eating a lot of food as well. So he was uh, he he was he was a nice coach to prep with because he didn't starve you. If it feed you up, and talking about obviously like fat loss phases, what's your general protocol of how you you work? Obviously, you get super conditioned. Do you do you have do you ever use keto with anyone or anything like that? Really low carb, or what's your general approach? I know you personally tend to uh, favor very high carbohydrates. Yeah, I mean that's what I enjoy the most myself. Um, but yeah, I mean a lot of people tend so I I tend to try and work with the person's metabolism and looking at them i can almost get a feel of what type of body they respond to what type of food i've been doing it for 20 odd years i can almost see in someone what if you give them too many carbs that will just soften them out but it might be a case that we can get to that but we need to just work through some sort of carb rotation to get to the point where their metabolism is processing carbs better and in a sort of generalisation, I'd say more, more so women, because they do tend to have less muscle and hold more fat, they tend to do better with a keto-style diet in the infancy of their diet where they <coughs> need to lose a bit of weight uh, or fat if that's their goal. And as they get leaner, you can sort of slowly introduce more carbs back into them and take the fats away. Uh, that's the sort of protocol I would kind of use with, with most people. And then... Um, people with super fast metabolisms they, they tend to get more carbs and they'll also get probably more fats in each meal to slow the sort of digestion of the carbs and to get the food to stick a little bit so they, they don't just rev, rev their metabolism out of the park no but it makes complete logical sense I think there's so many fads that go through like nutritionally which just gets pushed around which is generally the basics tend to work to be honest with you yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I think the whole what works is calories, and I know some people fight this, but I, I just honestly think that if, if calories are under what you're, you know, you're if you're if you're expending, if you spend more than you eat, how how can you not lose weight? <laughs> it's, it's simple maths, like I don't understand. I know there's lots of people out there that shout that it's not true, but. Where keto, I think, falls flat for some people is they, they think, I think that they see it as a free range to just eat certain foods. And a lot of keto-based foods are high in calories. They're high in fat and obviously high in calories because of that. And so their calories are never in a deficit, you know, for their daily sort of needs. So that, to me, doesn't seem to work, you know. 
Uh, so I think even with keto, you still have to control the calories in the diet. You know, otherwise, how will you lose lose weight? And initially, people lose weight on keto because they drop water because carbohydrates aren't being eaten and, and therefore water isn't being stored in the muscle. So they'll lose some like initial week or two of water weight and then they're like, oh, this ain't working anymore. But that's where we, you know, you need to be a little bit more clever and just calculate the amount of calories that they're using to what they're burning. Uh, but if, if people like keto, see, some people don't like eating a lot of food and they, they, they don't like being hungry. So keto is fantastic for them because it keeps you satisfied. You don't really, you're not really that hungry very, very fast between meals because of the fats, whereas a carbohydrate-based diet, which is sort of leaner and less fat, you, you, you kind of rev your metabolism up that way and you get quite hungry all the time. You get quite hangry, you know, where if you miss a meal by now, you're getting the right dump of everyone, you know. So it, it, it depends how, how you like to work. But I think the main thing is, like, if you're consistent, they'll work, but do a diet that you enjoy because if, you don't, if you're not enjoying it, you're never going to stick to it long-term, so it won't work in the end anyway. So if you don't really love your almond butter and your nuts and your avocados and healthy salads and all this stuff, then, then you know, I'll definitely eat the keto style type diet because you're enjoying your foods more. But, you know, if you're like me and you, see, I love this. <coughs> I used to love peanut butter and, and, and almond butter and stuff like that, but I'm dangerous with that stuff. I can't, I can't once the lid's off, it's done. You know, <laughs> I can't control it. Right. And, and, it's gone, mate. Once the lid's off, we're all in. Where did that jar go? I don't know. It's gone. But we, you know, so I, I, them diets never work for me because I've got no control on the fat. And like I say, they're so high in calories, they're so Moorish to me. I can't control the amount that I eat, and so I soon bump over the calories I was supposed to for the day, just in a spoonful of nut butters, a few hundred calories, and you're like, oh, Jesus, I could have eaten a whole chicken breast or a plate of rice for that. Yeah, you know, so it's very easy, much more filling, and it's much easier to feel like you've eaten something than, uh, you know, than the, the, a fat diet. But if you can control that, you know, and you're not a pig on fats like me, <laughs> then, the, uh, you know, then I think they, they work great, and they've got loads of health benefits. Like healthy fats, I think, are where a lot of the bodybuilders of the 80s, 90s perhaps, and, <laughs> and people like, you know, the dinosaurs like me in the sport, we miss out or we had, or they did miss out because they weren't putting fats in their diet and fats are so beneficial for so many like systems in your body. And from just the basic things like seeing dry skin, brittle nails, dry hair, etc. You know, these are easy to tell signs that you've not got enough fat in your diet, but as long as you look good and you're shredded, who cares? And that's kind of the mentality that a lot of bodybuilders have. And I, you know, and I have to have that mentality to get on stage because if I have any fats in my diet, even if I can control them, they tend to smooth my condition out, you know? And where I realized I went wrong when I started bodybuilding and tried to get in proper shape on stage was I used to think, cut the carbs down, 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 replace the carbs with some fats so the calories aren't super low, but they're still low. And I could never get that grainy, shredded look on stage. Whereas now... People know that I get that look on the stage, and that's, but that's because I take all the fats out, and it makes me look a certain way, but it, it's not the healthiest for you long-term by any means. But then the sport of bodybuilding at competitive level you know, isn't, but we're doing it for a look which we can hold for a period of you know, time on stage or a week or two for a couple of competitions. So, and, and as soon as the competition's over, I'll implement put more fat back in the diet. So 
I mean, my my daily fat would probably about be about three spoons of Udo's oil a day, um, sort of year round, and that's about as crazy as it gets. Um, and then I'll add some fish oil like morning and evening as well. And I found that that amount of balance doesn't smooth my condition out, even for prep. And it kind of it prevents too much kind of broken skin and dry dry nails and that kind of thing that you see as a sign of low low fat diet. Um, and then weirdly, you know, like people will play around this themselves, perhaps, <laughs> but having oils in my diet doesn't cause any issues with how I look. Whereas having nuts and seeds and avocados and edible fats in that respect seem to seem to soften the outlook. In so much as I'd rather eat them things because they've got something to something to do, you, know, <laughs> you feel like you're getting something for your your time. Whereas oil, you just it's just gone and it? it's spread on your food and you've not even noticed it. But that has a health benefit without it, uh, without causing any sort of damage to the physique. So, you know, I, and, and in the last few years, I've realised that when you carb load into shows, fat loading alongside it is paramount to get the real, the best look of of you know the fullest muscle. And uh, and that was something I never used to do before. But when I carb load, I'll always use coconut oils or MCT because they're 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 taken up slightly differently than normal fats and they don't seem to spill on me at all. So them type of fats I could eat all day long. So it's just a learning curve really about how your body responds to certain foods. Uh, and that's where we go all the way back to our first conversation is why I've done so many competitions over the first few years and got banned by the UKBFF was because I wanted to learn me and I wanted to learn how foods affected me and I didn't want to wait for one show a year you know, in order to do it, I wanted to learn out sooner because it's a hard process in shape. And as so of now, I know myself very, you know, pretty well. Um, and I tend to have a good eye, I think, for most of my clients and how they respond. But, but the way I prep people, I, I will actually try and get people in the best shape of their life the easiest way possible. I don't think people have to suffer. But, and I'd like, them, I'd like to get them on stage without much suffering because who wants to suffer when you don't need to? So I will I like to, I like to work with people prior to their contest prep, a little bit of time away from that, so you get to understand their body and you can manipulate their body a little bit with macros and foods and get to understand how they work, so you can utilise that through the prep. And in that way, they get to eat carbs, they get to eat dumb fat, they, you know, they might get a refeed meal. You know, you get to understand the person. And if I can get someone on stage when they say to me, "Do you know that's the best prep I've ever done, Cat? You know that's." It was feel like I was dying, and I'm so happy. That's how should I am. That's my job done. That's me happy because that's how I'd always want to come in, you know. So you're still enjoying life, work, your relationships along the way. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's the key. So otherwise, it's short sighted, really. If it's um, you hate the process, chances are the results probably aren't going to reflect what you want anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's a bit. It would be a bit of sweet victory if you're. If you won, but everyone around you hated you <laughs> for getting there. So, you know, but I mean, I think we've all, you know, any of us have done it, have been that person at some stage. I'm sure, sure, some of my ex wives could say that about me. Yeah, I'm sure we would. I'm sure they would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to sort of wrap, wrap things up there. So, uh, two questions for you. What would be your number one tip for anyone looking to try and build muscle and the number one tip for anyone looking to try and get leaner? Well, do you know, my number one tip for both of them, actually, would be the same answer. And it would be what I wished I'd have done when I was getting into this and trying to learn it all. And that would be, I would 
going, I would, I wished I'd have spent my money going to see like a, an experienced coach, someone that's been in the trenches himself, but also has got the experience with results from other people. Because the amount of time, money, effort and stuff you've not spent on them and you think you're going to learn it your way and work, you waste so many years it's getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, where you can go to someone that's been there, done it, and they can just give you all the advice and get you to shortcut your success, whether it's fat loss or building muscles. They've been there, done it, and done it with loads of clients as well. They've got the answers that you're going to be frivolously trying to etch out through years of trial and error. And that's what I've done at the start. I've done loads of trial and error and kind of wasted three, four, five years, really, until I eventually went to someone and thought, oh, my God. That was what I should have done in the first place because in that little bit of money I invested in him, I've learned everything I wished I'd have known, you know, all that time ago. And if you can go and see someone that's hands-on, you know, can actually pinch an inch on you rather than do it purposely online, I think that's always better. Like old school, you know, some people send you photos and I have online clients that send me photos, but it's, it is hard to be totally, totally critical of a photo because lighting and... Prep as well. It's tough, you know. People never send you their worst photos. They always send you ones that are slightly better or, you know, they're out of the group of photos that they've done. You know, like in my old days, I used to go to the Eddie booth, which was an old IFBB pro, and uh, he used to just brutally strip you down, come and pinch fat off all over you from your butt <coughs> back fat to your abs and just pull bits of fat off you. And if you can feel gristle under there, go away and carry on doing, you know, the diet and, and doing add more cardio, you know. So, um, I'm, I, you know, I must say I miss them, them, them ways of coaching people because it's all a bit nicey-nicey now. Otherwise, they just, uh, off they go to the next coach because the last one was too brutally honest with me. <laughs> That's some, uh, some, some solid advice to finish things up there. So, um, <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, the podcast this evening. I hope that everyone will, I'm sure will take a huge amount of value and inspiration from obviously where you've come from uh, and what the challenges you've gone through. Um, so anyone who enjoys the podcast, I'm sure you will do, please make sure you leave a five-star review. So we're picking one person at random to win a place for the next Shred Nate or Sculpt Nate program, which actually, funny enough, starts today, the day's podcast is released. Uh, so if you want to get involved in that, the link to sign up is below. And if you want to give Neil a follow, I'll pop his details at the bottom of the podcast as well. Uh, so you guys can check him out. And he's based over obviously Essex Way for anyone who, for uh, any training needs. Um, so thank you so much, Neil. Lovely, Charlie. I appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Indeed. And, uh, it's a training nice, session nice too. You will definitely meet up for a new one, get that on camera and I'll show you how to <laughs> Show you how to squat again like the old days, yeah? <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. It's on. All right, it's just commitment. All right. I'm accountable for that. Cheers, mate. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Charlie. Thanks.